If you will open in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look from verses 1 to verse 5. Forewarned. Forewarned is forearmed, or so the old saying goes. It means that if you know something that's going to happen before it happens, if you know something in advance, you will be prepared to deal with the consequences. Today our passage is a forewarning. It's not a warning, but it's a forewarning. A warning says what might happen. A forewarning says what will happen before it does happen. This morning, we're going to be warned, forewarned, about the fact that there are people who seem to follow Jesus that fall away and go their own way and depart the faith in these last days. We need to be forewarned because when someone you have served alongside, prayed with, wept with, walked with, and loved, walks away from Jesus and the faith, it is disorienting, to say the least. So today what we want to do is we want to arm ourselves with God's truth to face the sure and certain challenge that we will have when our friends depart from the faith. Now last week, we saw at the end of chapter 3 this ancient Christian hymn that our forebearers sang nearly 2,000 years ago, this ancient hymn extolled our Lord Jesus in dramatic and resplendent tones. This week, the tune changes dramatically. It's a promise that some will turn their back on Jesus and that we should expect it. We should expect it, but we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be surprised, but we shouldn't be afraid. If I were to say the, one I, the main idea in this one sentence, it might be this. Don't be surprised when people fall away, but be vigilant to enjoy the Lord. Don't be surprised when people fall away, especially, especially as we'll see, to the false gospel of legalism. But be vigilant to enjoy the Lord. Now this morning I'm going to do something a little bit different as we read the Scripture. I'm going to project the verses that we're going to consider behind me. Normally I don't do that. I say, hey, look at the Bible you brought. If you didn't bring a Bible, look at the app you have. I want you to be able to look and get around in the Scriptures and recognize, hey, I can do this too. And so, but today what I'm going to do is we're going to project the, the verses behind us because there's a transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4. And if you're like me, you look in, in, in the Bible that I have here on page 1,112, and, and you see in chapter 4 there's this big number 4 that makes this big barrier between chapter 3 and chapter 4, but that's not originally there. There's a flow. And this flow is something we need to recognize. So I want you to see how the flow goes. One minute, we're singing praises with Jesus about Jesus. The next minute is a promise that some will fall away from this wonderful Jesus. I want you to see how the Bible puts reality and glory right next to each other. Okay, I'm going to read beginning in cha uh, chapter 3, verse 14. I'm going to go all the way down to chapter 4, verse 5, and so we'll have it projected. I hope to come to you soon. 
But I am writing these things so that to, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching, uh, teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Join me as I pray. Lord, I am eager to preach this passage, but I'm also eager to receive your help. You know my weaknesses. You know my frailties and vulnerabilities. You know, Lord, that I need help. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me with your presence to be able to preach faithfully. I pray that, Lord, I don't know where everybody in this room is coming from. I don't know everybody's background, but I know you do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and fashion it and shape it and, and, and help it to land on our hearts in the ways that we need it to land. Because, Lord, we don't just need information. We need to be transformed. We need to have an encounter with you. And I pray that that would be the effect this morning. This I cannot do. This you do. And so we ask for you to do that in our midst. And in your name we pray. Amen. We must not be surprised. Instead, we must be vigilant. So how? How? Well, first, we're going to see that we need to expect departures from the faith. And we're going to see that we must be a people who enjoy blessings from the Lord. First, we're going to need to recognize that we should expect departures from the faith. And I get that from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I think you noticed when we were reading the passage what a jarring shift there was from chapter 3 to chapter 4. One moment we're reading this moving hymn about the grandeur of God in Christ, this high and lofty language that forces our attention up, up, and away from ourselves. And then, from those heights, we plummet. We plummet to earth with these words. Verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Talk about a splash of cold water in the face. Sometimes we need to have our idealistic illusions washed away. It's possible to have an idealistic and therefore unrealistic view of the church. And those who tend toward idealism can hear how the church is described in the Bible, household of God, the assembly of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth, and you have an idealized version of how all these things play out, where everyone is perfect, everyone gets along, everyone loves everyone, there's harmony, there, everybody's of one, of one accord, we're of all heart, we're all of the same heart and mind, 
We serve sacrificially, and it is wonderful without even the hint of trouble. But though we are the household of God, the assembly of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth, just like every faithful church is, we are not. And no, we are not perfect, and no local church is. Idealistic people are going to we're going to make, this is going to make you struggle. Now, the problem with idealism is twofold. First, idealistic people usually struggle with how others are acting or how others are treating them or how others should be. And the problem is that idealism can engender a nearly impenetrable self-righteousness. And if there's something that we are apt to be blind toward as Christians, all of us, it's self-righteousness. Secondly, idealism sets you up for a tragic fall when people who seem to be Christians fall away. See, we need something more powerful than idealism. We need vigilance. And by vigilance, I mean simultaneously watching for the danger of apostasy and yet having confidence that the Lord can hold us and keep us. You see, the reality is we live in a fallen world. We have the devil prowling around our church looking for whom he might devour. We all of us in this room deal with remaining sin. That's the truth. And faithful churches will always have some people who end up denying the faith. It's not a sign of the weakness of that church necessarily, but of what? The sign, a sign of the times. That's what we say. We see here in verse 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. That is the way it is in these times. Now we live in the final days, the last days. The entire time between Jesus' ascension and his return is defined biblically as the last days. And in the last days, people will fall away, will depart from the faith. It's actually a sign of a healthy church that continually proclaims Christ and Him crucified and Christ as the only way to keep you in His love and Christ as your only hope to have people get fed up with that message, turn and walk away. And while that's true, it's still sobering when this happens. It's still hard. And we should never get used to this. We shouldn't go, well, that's a promise in the Bible, so okay. Big deal. No, it should grieve us. It should sober us. It should make us weep. It should sadden us, and we should never get used to it. But at the same time, it's a reality. The Spirit Himself expressly says, notice, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. He is not a force, nor is He a power, but He is a person, the third member of the triune Godhead. He is the reason, humanly speaking, that you are spiritually speaking, that you are saved. He is the one that regenerated your heart and made you a new creation and caused you to care about Jesus and the things Jesus cares about. The reason you want to follow Jesus is because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The reason you experience the conviction of sin is because of the person and work of, of the Holy Spirit. And He is the reason you can find joy in Christ. And He is forewarning us. This isn't a new warning. This came from the mouth of Jesus as well. Matthew 24, verse 10 says this, And many will fall away, speaking about the last times, these times, and betray one another and hate one another. 
and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Some will depart from the faith. That's the reality. This means these people who depart from the faith walk with Jesus for a while, follow Him for a while, but they do not stick by Him. This is an incredibly difficult experience experience to undergo, but it's more difficult when a spiritual leader is the one who departs from the faith. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but sometimes when this happens, those of us who have benefited from pastors or preachers or teachers or small group leaders or counselors who walk away begin to question everything that, that, was, that they taught. So this is why the Bible is so good to warn us here that this is what happens in the last days. Sadly, tragically, this kind of apostasy has been happening since Judas and will continue to happen until the final trumpet sound. Have you ever had a pastor abandon the faith? A pastor that served you, that helped you? Maybe even was the agent by which you believed the gospel? I have. When my wife and I were married 26 years ago, one of the pastors who participated in our ceremony, who gave us counsel, who was working with us in our premarital counsel in part, has abandoned the faith. This is hard because when a pastor who teaches, preaches, and proclaims trust in Jesus, sometimes he proclaims these things through tears, we might be tempted to question everything. Again, it is a blessing to be forewarned so that these situations don't, I mean, they're always, they're going to be surprising, but they should not be shocking. There may have been many unsaved preachers down through the annals of time that have preached an orthodox gospel that people have responded to only to have those preachers turn away and abandon the faith. That does not negate the message. I think of all the passages that discuss something like this, the most sobering is in Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus himself in the last, says, he's describing the last day, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now notice the things that they did for him in his name. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus doesn't say no. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Actions done for God, are never on their own by themselves a sign that someone is saved. The genuinely saved will continue to follow Jesus through the ups and downs of life and not fall away. The reason people fall away and depart the faith is because there is a power There is a power resident in false gospels. What is that power? Verse 1 again. Some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So behind all false gospels is 
the teaching of demons. LDS, Jehovah's Witness, Hinduism, Taoism, Islam, Scientology, those are the teachings of demons. And they're put out there, verse 2 says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. See, the reason there are so many false gospels in the world that people flock to is because there's a power behind them. Demons. The workers of the evil one are behind all of them. Now, most of us in this room or watching on home, at home, are not going to all of a sudden decide, I'm going to go be LDS, where they say Jesus is Satan's brother and Jesus is not God the Son, but he's a created being. Most of us are not going to fall for that. But if we're going to fall away and depart the faith, we're going to be tempted by something far more subtle and dangerous. It is the false gospel of legalism. Legalism to us is more dangerous and more deadly than Mormonism or Scientology. You know why? Because it looks and smells like the real thing sometimes. And what the false teachers were teaching in Ephesus is encapsulated in verse 3. What are they teaching? Well, they forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. The false teachers were saying that marriage, now, and when you see that, you read sex within marriage, and food, read meat, is wrong for the Christians. The problem with this sort of legalist asceticism, which means radical self-denial, is that it has an air of godliness. Legalism seems logical oftentimes and reasonable, but it focuses on the things we can't do. Christianity is not primarily a message of what not to do. It's primarily a message about what Christ has done for us. Here in Ephesus, people were succumbing to the insidious belief that physical things, physical pleasure, like food, drink, exercise, hobbies, pursuing interests, sex within marriage was evil. That's wrong. God has given us good things to enjoy within proper parameters. And when he calls his creation good, we shouldn't call him a liar. We should enjoy his good creation. So that's our forewarning. That's a warning. Don't be surprised when people fall away, but be vigilant to enjoy the blessings from the Lord. I get this from verses. Secondly, we're going to see the we're going to enjoy the blessings from the Lord. And I see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So, let's let's summarize this. To shun food, drink, marriage, or pleasure for the sake of godliness is wrong. It's unbiblical. Why? Because this implies that the physical world is evil. It's not. It's good. Is it fallen? Yes. 
Is it completely corrupted so that we can't enjoy any kind of physical pleasure? No. God has created all things, even our physical appetites, and proclaimed them to be good. And to treat them as something to be shunned or denied is to call God a liar. Now, I'm not talking about fasting or temporary, temporarily setting aside blessings and pleasure. But I am saying any who teach that we are to do this on a consistent, regular basis, they're false teachers. For example, think about it this way. Why do we have taste buds? God gave us taste buds for only one reason. To taste good food. Or all food. Good or not. That's the only reason we have taste buds. God made taste buds, put them on our tongues, and said, <coughs> listen, I don't want eating just to be something they have to do, that you just ingest protein and you ingest vegetables and you ingest meat, these things without taste. No, what He wants us to do is enjoy the process of eating. And so He says, I will bless them with taste buds. It's wrong not to enjoy good food. Now, it's wrong to be gluttonous, absolutely. But to, but to avoid food in the name of godliness is wrong. This is why if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, God bless you. Enjoy that life. Have fun. Go have an impossible burger or a beyond whatever. I'm going to stop going beyond meat and stay right here. You can have those convictions, but it's wrong to teach that that's what everybody must do. Do you see what? Th that, that's legalism. Similarly, the Lord gave us eyes to see, and He has splashed our world with beauty all around. We have mountains that ring our city, and you look at them and go, whoa, that's amazing. And when the sun hits them just right, they're purple sometimes. They have all these shadows. It's not just this flat, dull, black and white existence. We have flowers even here in the desert that bloom in the springtime. In my front yard, I've got these purple flowers that are beautiful. We have cool breezes to feel and, and, and see. We have these sunsets that are more colorful than rubies. And it's like the Lord just took a bunch of purple sometimes, a bunch of orange and yellow and goes, boom, check that out. Why? So we can enjoy it. And say, whoa, man, there's sunsets, and then there's that sunset. He's given us bodies and brains to build things, play sports, read books, write, bo write books, brew coffee, bake, paint, play instruments, feel a cool breeze, watch a lightning storm. The list goes on and on and on. Our bodies are not prisons for our souls. Clamoring for release into the great beyond, we have been created, rather, to be embodied for all eternity. So when you die, and when the last day comes, you will receive a new body. You will be embodied forever. So, to prescribe a shunning of physical pleasure in the name of Jesus is wrong. And it's a false gospel. Even though 
it might seem godly. Now clearly, 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 we can sin with our bodies. But that's not the point here. The point here is that our bodies are not evil. Our physical appetites are not evil because God created them and what He created is good. So enjoy making and looking at art. Cook good food. Pursue hobbies. And smile. And laugh. And be joyful. Knowing that these things we enjoy are gifts from God. We can enjoy those gifts without making those gifts a God. See, the problem with ascetic legalism is that it prescribes radical physical denial and has this false sense of spirituality. It may seem godly, but it's a sham. It's fake. It's like a facade. A facade. You know what a facade is in the movies? You know, you can walk, you can look like in the movies, you're walking down the middle of a busy street, and these buildings look high and imposing, but a facade, you can walk through the door. If you really walk through the door, you see, oh, this is fake. This building is not a building. It's just the front. That's a facade. That's what legalism does. It has all the appearance of something real, but it's fake. It's not just fake. It's deadly. Let me say it this way. All of us understand how dangerous it is to subtract from the Scriptures. What we, want, what we never want to do is take away from the Bible says no matter how hard it is to swallow. But the opposite is true too. Legalism adds to the Bible and that is just as dangerous, maybe even more dangerous than subtracting from the Bible for us. Because most of us aren't going to be tempted to say, I don't like that part, I'm going to cut it out. But we might say, I think everybody should do X, Y, and Z. Avoid this, do that, don't do this, eat this, don't eat that. Observe this day, don't observe that day. That's even more dangerous. See, it's dangerous for me, it would be wicked dangerous if I said, listen, Jesus didn't die a substitutionary death. You could say, yeah, he did. I can look at it in Isaiah 53, Romans 3, Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Revelation 1, it's all over. But if I started teaching, hey, listen, it's evil to celebrate Christmas. Play cards, dance, go to the movies. The trouble is, that seems a little bit godly. But it's not. See, when we bind someone's consciences with something that's not expressly biblical, even from good motives, it's wrong. I'll give you an example. Years ago, I had a conversation with a gentleman who was thinking about coming to our church, and sometimes people want to talk to me and ask, what do we believe? What are our theological beliefs? What are our practices? And so I'll sit down, and we'll use all kinds of big theological words, and we'll talk about this, and we'll talk about that, and sometimes we might even talk about infralapsarianism or whatever. But in the course of conversation, he told me that he had a personal philosophy about leadership in the church. And whenever someone tells me they have a personal philosophy, I'm all ears. I'm ready because I've heard everything you can imagine. He said, he said he believed that a man could never serve in leadership of any kind in a church if he had a divorce even before he was saved. And I said, wow, that's not in the Bible. He goes, I know, I know. But I want to have high standards for church leadership. 
higher than the Bible's? It might be a good desire, but having higher standard, standards in the Bible is no virtue. It's a vice. Adding qualifications to leadership that the Scriptures do not have is always wrong. But do you see how this standard carries the illusion of godliness, right? He says that, and he was expecting me to say, wow, that is good. That's a high standard. Instead of, you can't add to Scripture and you're binding people's consciences. See, the teachers, the false teachers in Ephesus were saying, listen, do these things. Don't do these things and you'll be, and, and be able to follow the Lord. It's not the truth. That's one of the places the American fundamentalists went awry in the last century, even though it was from good motives. At the end of the day, they prohibited long hair, tattoos, dancing, card playing, movies, theater, makeup, celebration of this day or that day, alcohol, uh, or whatever, without biblical warrant. Beware of anyone who says you must do something that's not in the Scriptures. That, friends, is legalism. And legalism is always deadly. The, the, the insidiousness of legalism is that legalists never know they're legalists or never see it. And there's always the whiff of godliness. But legalism misplaces the power of the gospel. Legalism says you can obey well enough to present yourself before the Lord. The, re the reality is, as Christians, we know this better than anyone. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give the Lord. I have my obediences as of filthy rags. My good works need to be atoned for too. Because those good works are mixed. And so what I need is a Savior to die for my sin and for my good works so that He might be my substitute. And I can go to God and say, I've got nothing to commend myself, but what I have is Christ and Christ alone. Legalistic prohibitions are never the answer. Michael Horton relayed the following story in his great book, Christless Christianity, when he said, what would, thing, what would things look like if Satan took control of a city? Over half a century ago, Pres the Presbyterian minister, Donald Gray Barnhouse, offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, that's where he ministered, all the bars would be closed, pornography banished, Pristine, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. Children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. And where extra, I would add this, and where extra biblical prohibitions are trumpeted. People will fall away because of legalism. We can be vigilant to enjoy those gifts God has given us, not to excess, not making an idol out of them, from time to time, fasting. But we must enjoy these gifts and receive them with thanksgiving. In fact, notice what happens in verse 5. I'll read verses 4 and 5 and check out verse 5. Verse 5 is something worth meditating on for a while. We're not going to be able to do that this morning, but I want to show you 
couple things here in verse 5. For everything created by God is good, verse 4 says, and nothing is to be rejected that is to be received with thanksgiving. For, whenever you see the word for, that means here's the reason why. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. In other words, something as normal and mundane and everyday as a forgettable lunch becomes a holy moment. As holy as praying, singing, reading the Bible, evangelizing, fellowship. How? The lunch is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Recognizing that we thank God for his bounty with thanksgiving. This means that there is no second, not one moment, where we can't be serving God. And even something as normal and mundane as every, and every day as lunch, a forgettable sandwich, can be an opportunity, a holy moment. See, if you think holy moments are only a church, you're thinking wrong. Holy moments are all our whole lives. And when we are vigilant to enjoy what he gives us, we follow him. You see, primarily we are built to enjoy fellowship with God through Christ by the power of the Spirit. The best gift we've been given is that we are no longer enemies. We are no longer alienated. We are no longer against God and God is no longer against us. And not only is He not our enemy, but He lavishes good things upon our lives for us to experience. He lavishes upon us good things that we can enjoy. He lavishes upon us all kinds of things that we can enjoy from His hand. And the reason that we receive the blessing from God in this way is because He did not bless His Son on Calvary. His Son was scorned. His Son was impoverished. His Son was despised. His Son was rejected. His Son was the sin-bearer. And so the reason that we can enjoy these good gifts <coughs> is because Jesus has taken all the worst things that could come upon us in this life and the life to come and given us blessings that we can receive, not because we deserve them, but because He delights to give good things to the undeserving. And that's us. We must not be surprised as people fall away, especially from legalistic false gospels. And we must be people who are vigilant to enjoy those gifts God has given us. One thought as we close. I know this, this kind of sermon is difficult because as I stand up here, I recognize it's impossible to speak to every situation arrayed in this room or of those watching at home. There are some who are overconfident in their ability and don't ever think they could fall away. I'm not going to talk to you here. You, you, you're wrong, but we'll talk about that later. I'm talking to those who hear the news that some will depart from the faith and you're afraid that that might be you. If that's you, 
If that's true, your concern is good, and that's a sign that you want to please the Lord, that's good. But also, even as we are vigilant to enjoy the gifts God gives us, we need to recognize He holds us tighter than we hold Him. Now maybe this will make sense. Here's a, this happened to me last week. Last week I came in on Saturday, and Saturday I think it got up to be 108. So whenever, whenever I come in on a hot day, what I do with my car is find shade. Wherever I can find that shade, I will park underneath that shade. And so, since no one was in the parking lot, I decided there's this big, massive tree right in front of the building that is casting a ton of shade. So I'm going to go park in that shade. Now, it turns out that that tree, which you can still see and it's still happening, that tree was full of yellow blooms. And it, the tree was in bloom, and it still is a little bit. So I parked there. I went inside. I um, came back down, and I stopped because the car was full, covered with these yellow blooms. It looked like a Rose Bowl parade float. <laughs> Yet, when I drove, all the blooms came right off. As I drove the 3.6 miles home, all the, all the blooms just flew right off, gone. The ones on the top of the car, the ones on the, roof of, on the hood of the car, the ones in the back of the car, the ones on the windshield, all just flew off and went wherever the blooms go that are about to die. But there was one. There was one that stayed attached to the car. And it was there in the morning and stayed attached all the way back to the office on Sunday. Why? Well, because there is this tiny little piece of the flower, this, a part of the petal that got stuck underneath the windshield wiper, just a tiny piece, and the wiper held on to it. That reminded me that my grip on Christ is not as strong as his grip on me. He holds us tighter. He holds us stronger. I stick with him and he holds on to me. If you're afraid you might wander, I want you to take comfort in the fact that he holds you tighter than you hold him. Stay close to him. Listen, there will be and I've seen it in the last 20 years that I've had the privilege to minister here. Sadly, there are people, there are people I can remember, I can name, I can see in my mind's eye that sat in these seats that have departed the face. I say this not to be afraid. I say this because that's the reality of these days. I don't want us to be surprised. I don't want us to be disillusioned. I don't want us to, to think what is true, but I want us to stick close to Christ and be vigilant to enjoy his blessings and not be taken away in the false gospel of legalism. We've been forewarned.
now we're armed. Let's pray. Lord, there's all kinds of needs, there's all kinds of ways in which I I just don't even know what to say, Lord. There are people here who are going through hardship and trial and difficulty. There are others who maybe are thinking they should walk away. Lord, I pray that you would secure us all, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be a church and a people individually and collectively that are not taken away with the false gospel of legalism. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who stick close to you, who hold tight to you, but also, also, Lord, recognize you hold us. And so, Lord, give us discernment. Give us hope. Help us not to be those that go and wander away. And I pray, Lord, for any in this room who are considering wandering away or departing the faith, I pray, Lord, that you would, I pray that you would just put a burning desire to not do that within them. I pray also for any here who do not know you, Lord, that you would help them to have a desire by your Spirit to want to inquire, investigate, and learn more about Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would protect us, for we cannot protect ourselves well enough. We need and are dependent on you. Jesus, it's in your mighty name that we both give thanks and also worship. Amen.